0: Welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast. We We watch films films to save save you the hassle.
1: hassle.
0: It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist just for you. I am Trevor Jones and we will bring you hot topics in the film industry. Inspiration interviews with IMDb listed filmmakers. Review Sweat online series as they stream. Trailer talk on upcoming feature films and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. Sharing the frame with me today are Akosh.
1: Hi guys.
0: King Hey. Myself, Trevor Jones, and our new Comptroller, Giovanni.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Good to join the team.
0: Between your ears and our voices, we take this opportunity to make the most of our podcast technology recorded on Blue Ice microphones, the focused Right Clara 8 Pre-X, and sound mixed in Audacity software. We will be projecting in an Optoma Full HD projector and computerized by Toshiba. We are now recording live and direct from Ithaca House. Don't worry, you've balled up so many takes to get here. You'll be glad that you heard this version. The person we've got with us today is an actor, director, playwright, and all-round righteously suave and debonair, Clint Dyer.
2: My God, I love that introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Hello.
0: <laughs> Clint Dyer makes being a creative look easy and we're going to talk to him about his upcoming projects as well as his secrets to success and how he addresses obstacles and overcomes them in the film industry. So thank you for joining us Clint. Absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. Nice uh, to
2: how was the journey in today? Very easy, just on the North London lick, I'm hackney man. <laughs> Okay,
0: so is it easy like traveling around Hackney as a creative? Is it like a a hipster area now or is it still kind of like crackney as they used to call it in the 80s?
2: (laughs) It's definitely not crackney. There's no uh, Murder Mile anymore. Um, You know, I'm on the edges of it. um, So I'm not sure I can really own the, the, uh, the Hackney kind of badge. Okay,
0: so I think I've said too much already. So I'll hand over to Akosh.
2: Okay. Uh, hi, Clint. Hello. Uh, tell us about uh, your first uh, wow experience watching film. What was your first? I don't know, big hit. What you see? What you saw it? What, uh, sorry. Uh, what do you mean? When I was a kid? Yeah. About, the thing or, that, or, Yeah. The thing I remember when I was young. <laughs> um, oh. Wow. Okay. Okay. Life of Brian. Life of Brian. Um, uh, it took me a while to get over <laughs> because it was so good. Um, that's the Monty Python film from the 70s? That's right. That's right, yeah, 70s. yeah, yeah. Um, you saw in cinema? Sorry, did I watch cinema? Do I still watch cinema? Did you watch it at a cinema? Yeah, I watched it in cinema, which was shocking. <laughs> you, know, um, I, you know, I grew up as a Catholic. So I call myself, <laughs> call myself a refugee of Catholicism. And um, at that time, I was captive. And so, to watch something that was so irreverent about um you know jesus' story was um <laughs> a little bit it was different. shocking and about he was a very naughty boy <laughs> uh, <as> is, well. <laughs> exactly exactly uh, blazing saddles was another one that I remember really um arrested my spirit wow. um it's interesting that i'm uh, noting comedies first, mm-hmm. um as you know raging bull i mean i I can still smell. Um, my front room, uh, my mum's house. The first time I saw that, sitting on uh, on the posh sofa, which I wasn't meant to be sitting on. You know, you got the. the <laughs> and uh, so I remember Is that a Caribbean sh- family. Yeah, we well, are very much Caribbean family, and um, three hours of bliss watching one of the best screen performances ever. Um, that stuck with me. I mean I've seen it obviously many times since Raging Bull um, yeah because uh,
0: it's very violent and uh, there's a lot of blood in it and I think it's quite interesting you've picked two films where one of them has got a a lead uh male black actor mm. in a comedy which was not really the popular thing in the 70s No no and then you've probably one of the most iconic scenes in Raging Bull is another uh black actor just pummeling
2: shit out of Robert De Niro for almost a yeah, minute yeah I mean it's funny that the fighting in Raging Bull wasn't what um, uh, stimulated me it was it was the it was the 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 visual um, tenacity of of Scorsese to to harness such a to harness such uh, male masculinity mm. in uh, and to to do it with, what, with such flair,
0: yeah. Because a large part
2: of that film is like the relationship, yeah. the, the twisted relationship he has with his brother, exactly, as well, and his it? wife, you know, and and uh, it the, and it's also the shocking demise of him as well, mm-hmm. which um, I found really, uh, you know, thrilling. You know, it's kind of a weird thing to say. I was thrilled by it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. considering how dark it is. But um, yeah, I did. I did. This performance is incredible in it. So,
0: I mean, you mentioned in films from like 1974 1979. Mm. So like, how old were you when you were watching these films? Oh, what, 13, 14, something so like that. So impressionable young teenager. Yeah, okay. yeah.
2: I'm not sure even if I should have been watching it when I think about it now. Mm-hmm. It might have been 18s, but... Um... Don't worry, I don't think you're going to get booked for <laughs> no, watching uh, no, uh, a yeah, no. film <laughs> now. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. And, and do but, you uh, remember your first uh, cinema experience? Cinema experience. First cinema experience. No, no, I can't. I mean, I, I'm one of those... I'm definitely a creature of my inhabitants in the sense that I desperately wanted to be a footballer and I desperately fell in love with film. And I lived opposite the ABC cinema and West Ham football ground was a 10-minute walk from my house. Oh, wow. So the churches of football and film side yeah, by just, side. Yeah, and I could, I could get in... My dad used to work at Ford's and... Um, one of his um, colleagues, that's for Dagenham, yeah, yeah, for cool. Dagenham. Um, he was the caretaker at ABC, wow. so I was able to get in to watch films for free. Amazing, and, you know, okay. getting at the back, <laughs> <laughs> wow. go around the back, and you know, this really, yeah. really tall man would open the door and say, Go on, go on, go in Oh, cool. And so, you know, I was, um. Exposed to cinema in a real kind of like uh, clandestine sort of fashion. You know? So you've was... literally found the back door into yeah, the film industry. Yeah, oh. literally, literally. And I used to kick my ball up against the back wall of the cinema. Oh wow! So where they used to dump everything was where I used to play. I used to play tennis um, against the wall, and they used to play football in their dumping ground. Wow! <laughs> but yeah, I was knocking on the door of cinema of the cinema for for a long time. I think I still am. Oh. <laughs> Um, and what was your last job before your first paid acting role? What was my last job before my first paid acting role? So I. What, what did you do before? Uh, you, no, you I, had, I hadn't started working. My first, my first paid job was acting. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, wow! Yeah, yeah. So I, I started really young. Um, I stay young. I started at about um, at seventeen. 17, yeah. And that yeah. was a
0: f- your first um, acting role as well? It was a
2: uh, Coca Cola. I can't remember if I did Tang Orange Juice first or Coca Cola. No, it was Coca Cola. Yeah. I did a, a while I was at college. Um, I, I got was we paid for that? No, I wasn't paid for that one. Yeah. So it definitely was a Coca Cola advert. But, but wow.
0: it, uh, it was an You an extra or you, you did a, any
2: acting? No, I got a, got a uh, featured role. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, so which was first, massive back then. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a massive thing. I, you know, I, I, um, I went to Stratford East workshops. Uh, you know, as a kid, uh, youth theatre, and then uh, the the avenue everyone took was to go to Barking College to do um, O levels and A levels in uh, performing arts, and uh, while I was at Barking College. I, you know, I started to do a, a sort of little bit of modelling work, but you know, kids modelling sort of thing, okay. not sort of high mods, you know, just kids sort of stuff. And uh, I got onto this agency and within the first year they'd suddenly turn around and said, You've got a Coca-Cola commercial and that was with Max Headroom. Now, you're probably all too young to know who Max Headroom I is. I remember Max Headroom as being, like, the headless,
0: electronic That's the one. voice exactly. Exactly. spinning around in bet. his there kind of...
2: So he was massive the time. Yeah. and So, you know, it was going from Michael Jackson to, who you know, the Jacksons, and then Max Headroom was the next big kind of guy who was um, heading the... Um, excuse the pun, heading the, uh, <laughs> the uh, Coca-Cola commercial. And... um I got a gig on it, which meant that I was taken off my A-levels <laughs> and wow. telling you a very bitter story. So I was doing a, a play. I was doing Shakespeare's, um, not Love, Labour's Lost. I was doing uh, Midsummer's Dream, Midsummer's Night's Dream. And uh, I had Snug the Joiner was the part that I got. And it's the smallest part in the whole bloody thing. And two or three weeks before we were meant to perform, I got this commercial, which would have meant equity card, which would have meant money. It was a a massive thing. And um, my teacher said, no, I can't do it. I said, what do you mean I can't do it? He said, no, 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 you're meant to be doing the play. That's the day that you're meant to be doing the play. And I said, yeah, I know, that's why I'm coming to you, so you can get somebody else. It's the smallest part in the whole thing. Yeah. You know. And I was gutted that I didn't get Lysander, but that's another story. It is the smallest part in the whole thing. Is this the teacher trying to
0: te- give no, you a life it was, lesson? It was or... the teacher
2: being an absolute, something that I won't say on this okay. podcast. <laughs> um, wow. Subsequently, he has actually written to me. Yeah. Uh, he wrote to me when I, when I directed The Big Life at Stratford East. Mm. He wrote a long letter of apology. Yeah. For um, supposedly reading me wrong. Yeah. What was to be read wrong? Seeing as I was at it the school, it took thirty <laughs> years to come to that conclusion. Yeah, mm. I mean, it, uh, no, I mean it was. It was it, uh, no, I did Big Life fifteen years ago, something like that. Yeah.
0: So, do you? Uh, th- why did he have such an? Do you think the teacher had such an influence? I mean, perhaps even more than your parents. At well, that the time. thing.
2: Well, the funny thing was, my parents came down to the school. Okay. And said, you know, I want my kid to do it. This mm. is money. We need the money in the house. Mm. You know. Yes, he wants. He wants to do this acting thing. And this is proving that he, wa- he he can do this acting thing mm. and it's a viable thing for him to choose as a career. And uh, he still said no. He said, I was wow. interested in girls. Wow. T- too much.
0: Did it strengthen your resolve to kind of hear your parents saying such praiseworthy
2: things about your acting in um, front of another adult? Well, we'd had a conversation that was like, Mum, can't tell him that, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what I need to you know, Can't tell him. He's, got, he's, you know, he's not going to listen to me, but he's got to listen to you. Mm. And he didn't. And wow. he still flung me off my A levels. Wow. And it's not like he said, you know, you can't do any more um, mm. shows at, at the college. Yeah. He flung me off my A levels. Wow. Which meant I could never do um, A level English literature, which still burns me today. Because wow. when do you have the time yeah. to sit down and analyze?
0: because this would have probably been like in such an early era where yeah. before like child actors have access to home tuition and, and stuff well, like
2: that well you know I, you know I'm a, you know working class kid and all that mm. sort of stuff it was uh, it was a massive thing for me to be doing A levels anyway i mean the school i went to st bonaventures i think it was like two people stayed on mm. oh, wow. <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> that kind of tells you the state of my education <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. Okay. And uh, mm. uh, tell me about your first acting role. What did you make of it? The first, the first, the first um, sort of. Uh, yeah, I suppose the first one would have been an uh, Alan Bleasdale play at Hornchurch Theatre Royal um, called No More Sitting on the Old School Bench, mm. and it was I was obviously I was a kid, but I was playing younger than myself. So I think I was about 17 and I was playing 15. And I loved it. <laughs> I absolutely adored it. And I I, I I was incredibly lucky to have one of those sliding door moments in that um, after one of my performances, for some reason I decided I was going to go home earlier than everybody else. Because there's a few people that lived in East London who used to get a district Line down with me back to Upton Park. And... Um, Philip Headley walked into my carriage. Philip Headley used to run Theatre Royal Stratford East and you know, was the king of, um, for want of a better term, black theatre at the time. When I say uh, the king of it, he, you know, he had recognised that um, there was a serious lacking in the theatre world um, regarding uh, black petitioners in the work, but also just black writing. So he he made it part of his mission statement to put on and serve his community, which was not predominantly, but at least a third um, Caribbean and um, Asian, and you know he was just answering Newham where we are right now. He was answering the call for um, its from its community. He was answering the call to diversity, basically. Yeah, yeah, many years before we called it diversity and all those things, and obviously way before anyone was uh, actually thinking it would become government policy. Mm. Um, why was I saying that? So, I was asking, you were asking me about... First
0: play First play, and yeah. so
2: what happened there was I, I, I um, was coming home one evening and Philip Hedley had gone to see the play, mm. and I was at the youth theatre of Stratford East, mm. his theatre.
0: because mm. He's been there for like 25 years. He was there for 25 years, yeah. exactly.
2: And um, he, you know, he, I said hi, Philip. I was, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I just went to see the plans. I was in it. He said, Oh, you, uh, you played Tovis? I said, Yeah. yeah. And so the, we we shared the train ride for about half an hour. Um, whereupon we've, uh, we, it was the beginning of a of a friendship that is is still blossoms now. Um, and uh, you know, he ended up writing to. Uh, Newham Council when they uh, didn't want to give me a grant to go to drama school, and and has been an advocate and a mentor, and I probably wouldn't be sitting here now if it wasn't him. But um, that first experience was a massive experience in that sense uh, because it, it it introduced me to Philip in a way that I would have n- would never have happened had it just come from the youth theatre group.
1: Wow, amazing story. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's interesting.
1: So, Clint, did you do a lot of theatre before you made the transition into TV and film?
2: Um, Would I say a lot? A little. A little. You know, I I started off in theatre, so you could argue um, that it's it's undoubtedly my background. Um,
1: Is there anything technical you take out of being a theatre actor initially?
2: Well, you know, it's all acting. It's all... Playing somebody else, I suppose the disciplines that you um, acquire in theater mean that you're you're I'd say more um, honed for film acting. They're very different in the sense that uh, you know you don't have to tell a story from in, with such a uh, long period of time, you know, but that said, it is the same thing, you know
1: yeah. And then right after your theatre experience, you kind of exploded onto people's TV screens with a lot of really well-known shows.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was fortunate in that the theatre jobs I did led to a good agent, which then led to um, getting good auditions, which meant that um, I, could suddenly, I could suddenly get those
1: parts. So I've just got a little list here. In the 90s, you did Prime Suspect 2, The Upper Hand, Pie in the Sky, Thief Takers, The Bill. Probably most people remember The Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is there anything that's different about joining a long-running serial? You know, is it hard to get up to speed or, like, you know, fit in with their house style? Um, n-
2: not really. I, I, again, I think I think theatre gave me a, uh, an easier understanding of, of the requirements, because essentially, theatre is harder than film, mm-hmm. and so to suddenly come along and have um, have parts that uh, only require you to act for thirty seconds at a time—you <laughs> know what I mean? It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't as challenging as you think, right? In the early days, anyway. I, th- I think after a while, and obviously my parts be- it became bigger, and um, it became. Uh, um, much more testing
1: yeah and am I right in saying that you've played more than one character in the bill is that right yeah
2: I I ended up doing about three times or something in the end
1: so did you like consciously try and mix it up make them all really different Uh,
2: they just were different you know as I got older they were different but you know I think the last one I I played I ended up being one of the policeman's boyfriends (laughs) which was very different from the characters I was starting out playing yeah but you know (laughs) nice challenge (laughs) yeah Yeah,
1: yeah. So you're always (laughs) up for a challenge. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: is there like any kind of character you wouldn't play because they're too extreme?
2: Good question. Um, I'm trying to think... No, I don't think so. No, I'm pretty open to trying to widen my experience as an actor and widen my experiences to... Uh, the possibilities of my humanity. So, you know, it's something I'm open to.
1: Great. And um, you just touched on a bit before about um, the diversity and... um, Sorry, what was the name of your mentor at the Stratford Theatre? Oh, Philip Headley. Philip Headley, you know, bringing in the diversity Mm. at Theatre Royal Stratford... Mm. How would you assess the state of diversity now, especially on British television? Because there's been a lot of talk and debate about that recently.
2: Well, it's it's uh, it's obviously moving in a direction. <laughs> Whether I'd say it's necessarily the right direction is another thing. But it's certainly um, it's certainly been talked about. Um, it's certainly being embraced as something that. Needs to improve. Uh, I think a lot of the decision making is perhaps done by people who are are limited in their understanding of what perhaps black people or people of colour how they want to see themselves represented. I think mm. there's still a um, a gap there.
1: Yeah. I mean, is there anything that you've been involved with that you think you know that's a good example of what it could be? There should be more things like that.
2: Well, I I literally just finished a a TV series called um, "Time Wasters," right? uh, Which was BAFTA nominated um, last year, Um, and there's it's got four incredible young um, black actors who are the leads, and this written by one of them, Daniel. And uh, in terms of forward thinking, I don't know that I've ever been lucky enough to be in anything on British TV that I can say really harnesses where the possibilities are and the parameters by which we could really embrace challenging material that is still uh, commercial and universal and still um, accepts the realm of change you know I, I think it was it was really heartening for me and uh, one of my fav- most favorite experiences on, on on British TV wow
1: fantastic mm. so on the negative side of that has there ever been a uh, Part that you've been offered that you've rejected because you've thought, this is just oh, a stereotype. Yeah, I don't there's loads. I mean,
2: has there ever? I mean, there's, there's loads, absolutely loads. Over the 30 years in this industry, can you imagine how many? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's our choice what we take. Um, it's 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 an industry that is filled with people who have um, their own agendas uh, that they want to push. Inside the work, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, and it's up to me to try and um, navigate those and, and still be an artist. you know so I't I necessarily'm not necessarily going to sit here and, and, and name call or um, point the finger at, at any, any of those because uh, I think there's been a whole load of learning that's happening now and uh yeah i think I, whilst i think there was there was a certain amount of lazy um casting and ideas that have been perpetuated you know i think everyone's re- thinking forwardly right now even if they're not actively knowing how to move forward or actively actually participating in in moving forward i think there's there's, it's definitely something that people are um, trying to wrestle with
0: Mm.
1: so have you seen a change in um, the kind of parts you've been offered
2: The, yeah, they're, they're for older men. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Surely Distinguished. <not. laughs> Distinguished,
2: we say. Distinguished gentlemen. That's what's going on now for me. Um, yeah, you know, it, I've, I've, it's hard to determine because obviously I... I seem to be becoming more and more in demand in it because I've done more, etc., etc., et So whether or not that's because everyone has suddenly woken up to me or to the possibilities of casting black people in specific roles, I'm not sure. Um, bit of both. It could be a bit of both. Could be a bit of both. I mean, there's a there's a thing that's happening right now is we in, in casting where they'll. They'll say that any when we're looking from anybody from any background to play this part, and often when you actually see it, it still is the guy that was written. It was written for, which is a white guy with a beard or a white guy with a you know, and uh, so there's a lot of um, well, I suppose I'd, I'd what do I usually call it? Um... Wild card. I've, I've all often felt like a wild card. Oh, I know. Let's bring Clint Dyer. You right. never know.
1: He but, just know, might be the one. Wild cards you are know, good. You know, Goran Ivanovic in Wimbledon. You could be that wild well, card, you see, that's the, the, the difference winning the, wild
2: card. You see, the difference with, with sport is then it's in your... It's actually with... It's not an opinion. It's fact. You hit the ball more times over the net. It's a fact. It's not an opinion. And someone going, oh, yeah, I think they're more right than somebody else. Um, so, so it's a, it's still a, 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 challenge, um, and things are undoubtedly progressing. I, I suppose the, for me, the progression would be that the parts were actually written for people of color to play, mm-hmm. as opposed to an add-on at the end when they go, Oh, we should think about diversity. Okay, how about we put, put a black person in that part or put an Asian person in that part? I, I you know, I, I um I'm still waiting for a time when it's just actually that part couldn't be played by anybody else. You know, and I, I think that's that's an exciting future which which still is seems quite far away.
1: Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, no one who's, like, you know, genuine would have a problem with that, that's for sure.
2: No, uh, you'd hope, but I'm sure there's some dissenters (laughs) out there There who'd find a problem with with that.
1: (laughs) Sure there is. So, I believe Trevor has brought up a clip that he wants to show you.
0: Yeah, I was thinking um, we should take a look at a blast from the past, because I want to see your new perspective on this. Mm. So, I'm just going to play this, and you tell me... What you think you're seeing um, I'm just going to put a volume up on this If we can just
2: I love to check.
0: So what I played there was a trailer for a British indie film that came out in the mid-2000s, I think it was 2005, called Chirps, where you were the lead actor. Um, why, I mean, that was a feature film, but why didn't, do you think that film never really took off in the way that it could have done?
2: Um, I, I have to, before I answer that question, Definitely. I just have to um, recognise and just say a nod to the wonderful Felix Dexter, who was also in that film, and the incredible Terry Pat, who was also in that film, who have both passed away. Mm. Um, yeah, amazing actors. Um, really gutting that they're not with us anymore. Thank um, you. So, sorry, what was your question? So, so um, I mean,
0: Felix Dexter and Teresu Pat, yeah, amazing actors. Um, if uh, people haven't heard for them, uh check out their IMDB profiles. They've been in some very prominent uh British uh film and TV from um uh, I don't know if I get this right, sorry, um from Grange Hill all the way up to, uh, to Lockstone. He
2: did the firm, he did yeah. the ma- amazing stuff, Terry. And obviously Felix Dexter, you know, are one of our leading um comedians and intellectuals. Oh
0: sorry. That's something for Dexter Fletcher. Yeah,
2: Fletcher, no, sorry. He's, he, he was incredible. incredible. Uh,
0: Real McCoy, that was yeah. a, he was a yeah, big... Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Had his own show for, for that, that they didn't commission, mm. that I was in, actually, as well, um, which is a travesty they didn't commission that. Because mm. um, Felix yeah.
0: Dexter was quite ahead of his time in terms of just oh, being multi-talented, absolutely. personality, absolutely. comedian, yeah. and actually being able to run his own show. It was almost yeah. like he was the Lenny Henry... So to speak, for the 2000s. But well,
2: I mean, Lenny was—I uh, was around at the time. Yeah. Um, it was—I I think the thing he suffered was, you know, uh, you could only have one. Yeah. You know, to to have two would have been too much. As a pedestal
0: for like only one prominent ethnic minority. Exactly, exactly. Uh, impresario and and he
2: was undoubtedly um, uh, as talented as um, as Lenny. Mm. Um, it's a a crying shame that that he wasn't embraced Mm. earlier Uh, because typically um, with those scenarios is that after he passes everyone goes oh my Mm -hmm. god he's a genius in a oh my goodness And it's like what happened to when he was alive
0: do you think (laughs) that's because we're living in a culture now where so much stuff is available online no it's because we can see the legacy it's
2: because we're rubbish we don't praise um, people when they're here you is know, that, we're terrible like that.
0: This is something I'd like to take, ask then. Take
2: people for granted.
0: Is that a British uh, trait, or do you think that's kind of like perhaps an Afro Caribbean trait in terms of. People who are uh, ethnic minority creatives are not getting acknowledged until, let's say, they pass away, or perhaps even go over to America
2: to. Well, the latter is definitely platform. true. Um, what would I say? Sorry, would I say that that's a, um, a default position of just um, the Caribbeans? Mm. No, uh, I would. I I would argue it's probably more. Actually, I think it's a bit reductive to kind of put it down to any kind of group. Actually. I just think that the situation in Britain um, where we don't own our own platforms to be Mm. able to celebrate ourselves in the right capacity Mm. and the only way that people are acknowledged as successful is when they hit a mainstream which Mm. means that the work that they produce will be diluted and has no real bearing Mm. to the actual specificity of Mm. the reason they were liked in the first place. Mm um you know I, I i think we are a bit american centric and hungry for the american fame yeah. yeah um uh not that i'm blaming anybody for going out there or anything like that and not that i'm blaming anybody for for loving the likes of chris rock and and um dave Chappelle and all these geniuses or even spike you know, lee in, you know according to spike lee you know i'm it, it's just that I find as, huma- as humans, we tend to really like people mm. when they're dead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. I just don't understand it. We like <laughs> you now, Clint. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, We'll but, always you know, like you. We we'll love just, you now. I think it's a but they're dead. I mean, it, yeah. well, I, you know, it's a bit of a bug bit. I kind of like. Yeah. Oh yeah, we should do this now for them. You know, they're not here. Yeah. yeah. You, who are you doing it for? <laughs> they're not here. Mm. You're doing it for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, they're dead, they don't, they're not seeing this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean mean, it always
0: strikes me like even when they have those Oscar ceremonies and they're awarding people posthumously and then you find out they've like the the Oscar award ceremony has never given them an award beforehand (laughs) Exactly. um, Exactly. I just wanted to come back to Chirps again because you're saying something quite interesting about um, acknowledgement and recognition Um, the reason why I wanted to mention Chirps is it was 2005 and a lot of things were happening because Uh, boundaries were being broken, the internet was being something that people could use, Mm. pro-consumer cameras Mm. and professional choice in terms of how films were being made were coming out because now you had, like, camcorders uh, that were getting into that... You had broadcast-quality camcorders that were getting into the hands of people who weren't traditionally making films. And Chirps is a 93-minute feature film. It came out in 2005 with... um, highly recognised and listed um, TV stars and actors Mm. performing. And I just wanted to know what was your take or opinion on perhaps why Chirps wasn't given um, a wider audience or a bigger opportunity? Because a lot of people are comparing it to um, some of the Spike Lee films like uh, She's Got to Have It and uh, and, uh, Girl 6. And Mm. you've also got the issue of... Uh, ethnic culture and ebonics being put into a mainstream feature film.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so first we have to mention Colton Lee. Okay. Um, who is Colton Lee? If you don't mind telling us our. Right. Uh, the the incredible director who um, bust his balls to make this film, uh, you know, was not supported by any of the um, uh, government bodies. Um, it was, I. I I hope I'm not talking out of turn, but I think it made him um, homeless mm. to continue the film. When I say homeless, I mean it, I'm not saying it was on the mm. street or on road. I'm just saying that you know he had to sell his flat to, could, or he had to, you know what I mean? To, because as we
0: understand from seeing credits of British mm. films, they're usually supported by the Film Council uh, yeah, or the or British or film or industry, or some
2: private money, or something mm. you know. What, what I'm really trying to say is, it mm. was when we talk about independent filmmaking. Mm. Um, it, Colton, and guerrilla filmmaking, Colton mm. took it to, the, to, to its degree where it is absolutely something that was made out of the, the sweat and blood and toil of mm. of, of Colton and his ingenuity. Mm. Um, so massive praise and respect to Colton. Um, now, the, you asked me why a film like that didn't get a wide, wider acknowledgement. Mm. Um... We all know the reason. We know the reason in the sense that we know we all know about systemic racism and, and institutional racism and um, uh, how locked film distribution is in, in perpetuating old myths and old stories um, that mean that, uh, that certain sectors of the community are excluded. So you said it in two very
0: interesting words there, film distribution uh, is the key platform that allows us to go from bargain bucket, looking at Tesco's in the £2, £1 DVD shelf to actually posters on buses, posters in uh, windows and stuff. So is it that the Pathway to film distribution was different in 2005 or it didn't exist? It was was locked.
2: I mean, you know, you you couldn't get in, Mm. you know, and I had still have friends, you know, that I grew up with that ended up in film distribution (laughs) that were like, we love the film, you know, but we can't distribute it. You know, we we can't get the cinemas to agree to... um, not have you know the watchman 3 on mm. you know because they they will believe they'll make more money because mm. as i was saying before mm. people only want to know black people when they're dead mm. <laughs> You know, they didn't you know everybody everyone would go, oh Felix Detto absolutely great. Oh you know, mm. t- you know, t- t- uh, um, Terry Pat, great you, Clint, oh wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Mm. Yeah, but I'm gonna go and watch Superman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um Admittedly, admittedly you there's the there's the another strong argument about um how we are allowed to advertise, you know, we there's a strong argument um as to um us being self-determinant on on ourselves on our own images and and finding pathways to actually exploit exploit um uh the distribution avenues that are there mm-hmm. you know um there is money in the black community mm-hmm. um i think we have to find ways to also convince the powers that be now to enable us to show our work. But also, I think inside of that, we have to um, be seriously looking at the wealth in the black community and and questioning why they're not supporting their own, you know, Uh, why collectivism isn't something that um, the community here aren't embracing in the same way as other cultures do, or other minorities do. Um yeah, I, 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 whilst I point the finger, I also point the finger at ourselves as well. Mm. I think there's much more that we can do for ourselves, by ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: it's very interesting that we can uh, observe that now, particularly in a year which has got um, two perhaps most important black films that have come out this year, which is um, Black Klansmen by Spike Lee from America, which is based on a true story. And uh, Yardi, which is directed by Idris Elba, um, which is probably also based on elements of true stories of uh, people coming over from uh, Jamaica to the UK. Uh, Do you feel that much has changed for the likes of Idris Elba and Spike Lee in terms of their pathway to film distribution? Or do you have to be... Idris Elba and Spike Lee. You've just a fun-
2: answered your own fun- question, I think. I mean, it's kind of uh, r- slightly absurd to, to look at the distribution model and and get one of th- the biggest actors in the whole world and apply h- his route to, mm. to the model that, um, uh, that other people are allowed to use with no um, success in mm. any area of the industry and yet find a pathway for their work you know, yeah. we, you know it's, it's absurd to, to even mm. mention Spy, <laughs> you know <laughs> Spike Lee's made what 40 films 30 films mm. whatever um, it, it, you know that's a, a uh, it won the palm door yeah you know. but
0: even four years ago I think to fund a film called The Sweet Blood of Jesus he had to go through a crowdfunding and Kickstarter, yeah, because yeah, yeah, he couldn't yeah. find people yeah, yeah. to distribute his, his own film.
2: Yeah, no, Spike. Spike sends a, 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 a series. I say Spike like I know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah Spike, <laughs> my pal Spike. I've never met him. Um, well, this would be your chance to say hello. He could, he's probably still in a country. I've been trying for to say hello for a long time. Cool, cool, cool. Um, but anyway, no, Spike Lee um, again is. I I think it's in terms of talking about. Um, Myself, you know, young filmmakers, etc. He's Spike Lee. Mm. It's everything is different for Spike Lee. Mm. You know, him, him crowdfunding mm. is, yeah. is so legitimate yeah. as, as Spike Lee. Were you, you know? surprised
0: it's, to even find Spike Lee needing to go? No, because the,
2: the brilliant thing about Spike Lee. Is that he hasn't compromised in his beliefs, mm. and and Hollywood isn't going to fund his beliefs, you know, and and I wish they would, but they're not going to, and he knows they're not going to, um, and so for him to have to trail the independent route is is something that he brilliantly has done I mean I think he still made him near enough made a movie a year mm. you know very very close to that um, of course he should be lauded much more than he is
1: um,
2: but yeah I just think you know to talk about a Palm d'Or winning film and and um, and Idris Elba's film mm-hmm. and then talk about the success of of diversity and yeah. distribution in the film industry yeah. is a joke <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know we can't uh, they're, 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 yeah, no, they're not normal they're anomalies so there's still a wide
0: gulf to kind of bridge for let's say the British film industry absolutely
2: absolutely
0: so if what I would say then with your finger and the pulse if you were given 12 months and 1 million pounds hmm. What would you change about the British film industry? What would I change about the f- British film industry? So you've got £1 million influence over everything and 12 months to act this new change or policy out. What would you do with that £1 million?
2: Wow, you want me to answer that now? <laughs> 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 or what um, do you think someone else could do? Um... I suppose my feeling would be I'd want to use that money in, to form alliances. I'd want to use that money to create alliances within um, present-day institutions, which meant that they were duty-bound to, um, one, acknowledge the work and, two, co-produce work that uh, they wouldn't normally co-produce. I'd want to use it to bolster up and enable um uh young film I forget the word you forget the word young um more subversive um work uh and give give actually you know what you see how can you ask me just ask me that yeah. maybe actually what I would actually do Thinking about the way, because I again, you know, me being my age, I was, I was just then was just thinking about old models. Mm. Um, it, I, you know, it's got to be on cinema. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. You know, you look at what Netflix and all these people are doing. Mm. Well, that, that's that, that's a really narrow way of viewing things. Mm. If I if I've got a million pounds, actually, really, what I should do is I should set up a platform mm. that can compete with the Netflixes and, and all and all these companies. Because Netflix is now considered the new Hollywood, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. And and make sure that it's diversity led mm. as opposed to um and, and not see not see it as another wing of mm. of of a company that is mm. going, oh, we've got this wing, which which is going to do some work that has got black people, but then we've got our A- main rich. wing. We've got our main <laughs> wing, and then we've got this wing that is for yeah. women, and we've got this wing that is mm. for, you know, for Asians, and we've got this wing. You know. mm. And I, 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 would, I would get rid of the wing thing, Yeah. and I would make the main body of um, work be for, for the people that can't... Um, maintain a space in the mainstream, mm. and it's an interesting thing. I, I, I've been interested Bless me, um, it, the, the the idea of maintain because what happens in the British film industry to a lot of people of colour is is that they're able to get one squeeze, but to get two, three, four, and five is virtually impossible. Mm. You know, they get a tiny bit of money from the BFI for a little film, uh, and and then no one will see it. But, and it will do a couple of festivals, and everybody will regard them as great filmmakers, Mm. but they can't get feature two.
1: That's that's a long step. Yeah, it's
2: about, I I think one of the the biggest crimes is people find it really hard to maintain themselves in this industry.
0: Is that because um, people don't understand how much stamina it takes? I think to the keep word, promoting I think the, w- films. I think the word is money.
2: <laughs> really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, thanks for telling me about that. I mean, that's a very interesting insight that you've given us. And um, going back to Netflix, you've actually had your... You've actually put your toe in the water, so to speak, with a Netflix project uh, called Black Mirror. Right, yeah. Where you've uh, performed there in an episode called uh, Metalhead. Is there anything that you noticed... That was different for you in the way you was allowed to promote yourself or access new opportunities because you had performed in a series that's widely available on Netflix, as opposed to you have to watch it on BBC during this short run, or you have to watch it in on ITV during this short run. Because Netflix, you can watch it anytime, yeah, wherever, whenever, yeah.
2: Um, no. <laughs> I don't think it's made any difference at all. Has it made a difference? Of course, of course if you're in a hit show, it makes a difference. Um uh, you know, I've done extraordinarily you know, um, you know, big Hollywood films that have been very successful that people are still, you know, still watching now, etc. Um I think the work is what is what gains me work. I haven't mm. I've I've never been uh lucky enough to to, to have that break that that film where everyone goes oh my gosh that's mm. that's the thing everybody goes oh you were in yeah oh you were in what was it you were in yeah i've seen you well, i've seen you but you were in and you were in do you you get, were in that thing as well and uh, but do you know what i mean the do titles. you get a lot of that with
0: um <laughs> unknown because you yeah, was working
2: that, alongside liam neeson yeah yeah you know, um uh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely You know, it's a big film. I I did a film. That was
0: 2011.
2: Yeah. And recently I did, last year I had a film out um, opposite Army Hammer, which, um, you know, was a a, a successful indie film. Um, And again, you know, if people have seen it, they go, oh, Blimey, you know, opposite Army Hammer. But Mm. does it. Does it that, is, is it that impactful to my career? Sure, I I can never tell. So it certainly kept me in. Let's say it's kept me in the room. Yeah.
0: Do you? I mean, so in saying that, as an actor, mm. is there a sense of excitement in terms of being able to say my next project is going to get me some screen time with Liam Neeson? My next project is going to get me some screen time with Army Hammer, or is it they've only given me like four or five lines or Two or three minutes to work with him and no, I mean it d- d-
2: d- d- depends. It depends on the project. Um, uh, uh, of course, you publicise and you you use whatever you can to try and propel you to the next um, stage, which is just the next job. Mm. Um, but it's still a process of auditioning. Mm. It's still a process of actually having to dance the mm. dance. Uh, if, whether or not it'll always be like that, I don't know. But it certainly is um, now for me. I mean, could you
0: tell me a bit more about the experience of uh, work, working on a feature film like Mine, which was spelt M-I-N-E in 2016 mm. with Army Hammer, because it's a war thriller and you are based
2: in Italy for most of its yeah. production. No, well, um, we're actually based in Spain. Okay, and um, we shot it in Spain. Um, but it's Italian filmmakers, mm. and that's where are, why you're thinking Italy. Um, um, that was a lovely little script. Um, uh, great working with uh, someone like Army. Because mm. uh, he's
0: physically well built, there's no CGI on that body There's either.
2: certainly no CGI on his height. <laughs> the wow. man is so tall, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those Hollywood actors that you realise what leading man means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, the one that really screwed me that way was bloody um, uh, Matthew McConaughey. All
0: right. Is I he did,
2: quite tall? He is taller, he's is taller than me. Most people are, but mm-hmm. he's taller than me. But it was that whole kind of leading man look. It was really yeah. kind of seriously. Like I did a film called Sahara.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: And... Um, he was really, 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 really. We had a, a really nice time and a very, very nice man and um, hey, generous. Interesting. And uh, he, he just, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's what you have to look like. Right. <laughs> 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 because because it was ridiculous. Reti- I mean, unnecessarily handsome. But, but the thing is, joke. it actually made you laugh. The interesting you thing know. about that is you worked with Matthew
0: McConaughey <laughs> at the height of his kind of. Um, beautified yeah, rom com yeah. yeah, 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 career exactly. stage before yeah, yeah. the so called reconnaissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The with, the, I no, it, yeah. with the heat, no, because with the heat that goes around with Matthew McConaughey, mm. there's a guaranteed certain number of women who mm. are going to the cinema to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been romantic leads for probably like yeah. the best part of a decade. Yeah. Did you feel that aura around him like when he came on to set?
2: How does it mean? That, that like, he... is he
0: an actor who thinks I've got to bring my my female um, my female attractiveness no. onto stage, or is he thinking I need to perform the shit out of this to to go towards the script?
2: I, I, you know, we, I, we went out a couple of times and all that, and we would chat, and he undoubtedly was very aware that he wanted to change the script. Oh wow. Um, he, he, you know, he st- change
0: the script of Sahara
2: or the type of scripts no, he was sorry, getting. No, to, to change change the type of scripts he was doing. Okay. Um he was very aware that, uh, yeah, he was better than that the, the, than the work he was doing. You know, right. he start, he started out. You know, we, we were talking about because he started out in a in a. Um, uh, this is where you got to help me. Um, the fact Ooh. you're going to get me a fax. So this is your fact. first fact. Come on. Okay, so. Um, his this is first Matthew film, Matthew McConaughey, with... Um, Dazed and Confused? No, no. Before that? In the Richard Linklater movie. Yes, that's it, Dazed and Confused. There you go, Dazed and thank confused. You. Dazed yeah. and Confused. Which so, was all the way back in 1993. Yeah, yeah. and we had, I don't know, that was one of my favourite films of, of, yeah. when in that kind of 2000s, uh, whenever that was, you know, when the whole indie film thing was yeah. really, really moving. Yeah. And... Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And so it we like were a little bit of a fanboy thing you know, going on? We were, well, I, I love film. I absolutely, mm. I'm a bit of a film yeah. geek. Which mm. is handy. Yeah. I mean, that geek sweat audios. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it's handy because um, you know, I was just, I was kind of like a three films a day kind of guy. Yeah, um, and I lived in the Prince Charles Cinema. You know, mm. I was I just saw everything that was out. Mm. And um, we started to talk about films and, I, and so I was able to reference films that he was in and we'd, he'd start referencing things that I knew and blah, blah, blah. Oh, which films did he did he know that you not were in? That, not that I was in, no, just oh. just films that oh, I okay, knew. Oh, okay, you know? okay, cool. And it was just kind of really, um, I could tell I was a lover of films. So yeah. we, had a, we were able to have a different kind of conversation than you might usually have. So Mr. Set. Dyer,
0: are you actually confessing live in our broadcast that you're, mostly responsible for the reconnaissance happening. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he's taken everything session. to me
2: and I'm gutted that he hasn't referenced me. When he when he won his Oscar, I was just like yeah. appalled. Yeah. <laughs> well, the band <laughs> no,
1: played too soon, that's what it was. He would have got around to you if they hadn't started. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, um, he
0: did uh, Sahara in 2005 mm. and then he, he spends like one more year doing, uh, I mean, you could have had this influence because he literally spends one more year doing um, uh, romantic comedies. And then, and then, he, and then he does, uh, and he, he takes just, a two-year break and then he exactly. comes out of Tropic Thunder, he which was decided, the most I'm hilarious not, comedy not doing any, there's ever been. anymore he, And yeah, and he, then it's, after that, it just fins out and he goes into Surfer Dude, goes to girlfriends past which could have been like films that were held back and then all of a sudden it's Lincoln Lawyer yeah. and it's like bam 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 yeah, bam bam yeah yeah
2: it was a complete decision yeah absolute absolute decision
0: okay so talking about Matthew McConaughey's past and his future we've talked about your past let's talk about your future um you're actually working on a new and upcoming project called Michael X and uh, this seems to be something that's going into production in 2019. And I'd like you to perhaps tell me a little bit about your role on this project and what it's about.
2: Um, so, uh, the, which one? Because there's, there's quite Sorry, a few... Malik. Malik. But you're so, playing Michael X. Yeah, that one, I don't know if that's going to happen. Why is that? Um, because... Uh, well, I'm not sure I can say. Okay. Well, I'm <laughs> okay. just going to open this Politics up. Politics-wise, I'm not up. sure is it, I can say. It's it, stamping on someone's foot.
0: No problem. But this is a, a two-hour film, a yeah. biography uh, called Malik. It's the explosive true story yeah. of Michael DeFratus, the mixed-race hustler from Trinidad who mutates into a controversial British black power yeah. leader. I can't Michael really X. talk about
2: that. But what I can talk about in terms of Michael X is that I have a play that um, Bill Kenwright's are meant to be putting on in the West End, which is about...
0: Is that Bill Kenwright, Mike? the actor from... Uh, no, the Guy Bill from Kenwright's right?
2: the, um, the theatre yeah. in Pisario.
0: He's got stakes, hold stakes in Everton Football Club. There you go. That's the guy Yeah, yeah. you got there.
2: You got it. Yeah. So um, he also put my musical, I directed a musical called The Big Life and that went to the West End and Mm. um, it was Bill Kenwright's that brought it into the West End. These are your theatre director roles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So um, they've also taken my piece, which is about uh, Michael X. So, so what track I did right you? T- s- sorry, go. Sorry. Scrapher-
1: am I right in saying you also directed a documentary about Michael X? We're
2: trying to get that off the ground. Yeah, mm. so with Noah Noah Media. Uh, where if anyone's out there who wants to help, we are looking for funders for that. Is there a website that people can go to to well, yeah, the project? For, for, for Noah Media, you can definitely find Noah Media. Um, but there's loads of information online about um, Michael X. What attracted you to the Michael X Project? Um, he's, a, he's a Caribbean, black, uh, civil rights activist of the 70s. How, what's not to love?
1: <laughs> Is it? he had a quite controversial death as well. It, yeah,
2: he was hung under British law in Trinidad when we had already um, abolished it.
0: Mm. Wow.
2: So uh, there's lots of speculation over the validity of that and um, whether, or, whether or not it was a miscarriage of justice, mm. which, is, which everyone clearly feels it was.
0: So obviously having a documentary before this project will help set the context mm. for a lot of people if this is like a very difficult touchstone to think about and observe.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's again, again, it's another one of those stories that it's kind of incredible that ooh, no one has been able to make a film about this guy. It, you know, he was friends with John Lennon, you know, he, William Burroughs, uh, Gainsbourg. Uh, you know, he was like one of the hippest um, men of the 70s and um, such a forerunner, in terms of in terms of uh, what we would class as as cultural as a cultural norm you like know, like a like a, um, a uh, what do you call it now is not a, not a youth club a um, community center yeah see nothing special there yeah he was the first person to have a black community center mm. which was considered extraordinarily subversive mm. Now is an absolute norm. Mm. Um, I think it's I think it's valuable um, for us as a nation to be able to embrace these um, ideas and these people uh, that we still are very blind to. Mm. After all, we've only got one month to talk about them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, so what? <laughs> Well, as as we're closing the show, um, is there any other projects that you'd like to talk about in terms of what you're doing uh, between now and well, I just 2019? Shot
2: a film. I just shot a film. I just shot a film. I had a play on at the Royal Court. Um, as part of the opening season that Vicky Featherston did at the Royal Court it was Mm. called Open Court Mm. and so all the Royal Court writers were invited to take part in certain different strands and I took part in um, one of the strands called Surprise Theatre and uh, I was uh, asked to write a play and so I shared the evening with David Eldridge Mm. a very well known and brilliant writer, uh, theatre writer and um I wrote a play uh, about Sylvia Plath. About Sylvia Plath, that's a lie. It was called Sylvia Plath. And um, recently, as in last week, I just shot the play. Oh,
0: that was the short film?
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and yeah, what was yeah. that so It's not that short. It's actually, like it's actually about half an hour to 40 minutes. Um, and it's the first thing that... I've, whilst I've directed quite a lot on film, um, in terms of short films, etc., and pilots and whatnot, this was the first time that... I'd actually um, directed something i written. So it was a bit of a, a land start, a, a bit of a watershed for me personally. And um, yeah, I'm over the moon about it, actually. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank Congratulations. you. Thank you, thank you. It's, it's always kind of...
1: good to catch a guest at a personal watershed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you
2: go, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose what I'm seeing it as is a precursor to a full-length feature. I've got, I've got... Um, I'm under commission from BBC Films, mm. and also um, I've got something in development with BFI. Um, uh, both things that I'll direct, mm. and I'm trying to mitigate the, the problems I'm going to face later on down the line mm. when somebody with a load of money goes, "Oh, we haven't directed a feature before, and you want how much money?" Yeah. And so, if they you know, to have done a, a, a short feature. Short feature, don't you? <laughs> and then you love the way yeah. I try to spin it. Yeah. <laughs> a short feature, yeah. Let me take a minute. No, yeah. it's just brand new category. Yeah. It's, it's, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So I'm hoping they'll they'll see that as, as evidence. Okay, cool. I mean, it sounds
0: like you've got your fingers in a lot of prize, and a lot of things are going to kick off. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, Fine. is there perhaps free? Uh, tips you could give our listeners in terms of how to overcome obstacles and push through your passion projects?
2: <laughs> There's a pause for you. Or, or one. Uh, what? <laughs> what, what, what have you learned? Tips. What have, what what have learned? you learned about? Well, it's all about forth? tenacity, obviously. Um, it's all about trusting. Your 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 real passion. I suppose what what, what I would say is, there's it, filmmaking is too hard not to do the film that you really want to make. A lot of people try and second guess the industry and try and second guess this and try and make sure that they're fulfilling this and you know that that looks like that's hot right now, so I do that. Blah blah. It's way too hard to 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 spend five years on something and then it just be an okay version of something that you know is substandard in comparison to what it could have been if it was actually something you really wanted to make. I just think it's too hard.
1: That's very sage advice there. I mean, for all the young people listening, all of our many, many listeners, that is really good advice.
0: Okay, thanks for coming on board and letting us know what's been part of your history and part of your mind and part of your future in terms of film, filmmaking and new productions. It's really great to have you on the show, Clint. So, a round to be of here. applause.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's an excellent guest and uh, I had a really great time uh, speaking to you. So, uh, we're just gonna close out the show now. So, we'd like to just give our thanks to our presenter King Dom Goodbye uh, Co-hosts Akosh My host Our comptroller uh, Giovanni See everyone I've been your host Trevor and you are listening to Geeks Geeksweb These are the end credits, so we invite you to subscribe as well. GeekSwear is available on CastBox FM, iTunes and Stitcher. Download either app to listen to us. If you want to support the podcast by generating an interview question, being a guest or simply being a sponsor, please email film at instigateonline.com. We will have more in store. Feel free to rate and review us inside your podcast platform. If you don't have the time to do so, tell a friend today and we will be just as grateful. You can also find us online via Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the hashtag GeekSweat. That's G-E-E-K-S-W-E-A-T. This podcast thrives on listeners, so thank you for sharing your ears. To show you we care, we we watch films to save save you you hassle.